Hey church, it is an honor to be presenting the Word of God to you today uh, or throughout the week or whenever you're watching this. Um, today we're going to be covering Acts chapter 2 and we're going to be specifically looking at verses 42 through 47. And really, uh, if I had to title this sermon, it would be an awe-inspiring church. So what is an awe-inspiring church? How do we be an awe-inspiring church? Why do we want to be an awe-inspiring church? All great questions that I believe that we're going to have answered uh, out of God's Word in Acts chapter 2 today. Uh, so the first question I want to answer is, do we want to be an awe-inspiring church? Because uh, there's maybe some confusion about what is an awe-inspiring church. And so, well, it all depends on what do we want others to be impressed about? So as you know, we're going through a renovation. Do we want to be known as the church with the best restrooms? No. Is it helpful to have brand new, awesome restrooms that are capable for people of all walks of life to use? Absolutely. Do we want to be known for having the coolest associate pastor? No. Is it a bonus that Trinity has the coolest associate pastor? Absolutely. But that's not what we want to be known for, right? So what do we want to be known for? Well, let's see if the Bible tells us. So we're going to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And before I get into that, let's cover the context, right? You can't look at one verse or even a series of verses without knowing what's going on in the region, what's going on in that historical time. You have to understand the context. Too often I see scripture taken out of context. Okay, And so let's look at chapter 1 briefly and see what's going on leading up to the passage we're going to look at today. And so we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus ascends to heaven. Okay, what's that mean? Well, we know as Christians now that Christ, okay, so Jesus Christ was God, came to earth in fully human, fully God form, died on the cross, was resurrected three days later. Okay, so we're very common with that information. But then what happened? What happened after Jesus was resurrected? Well, he was on earth uh, for, oh goodness, 40 days, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Uh, 40 days. And then he ascended to heaven to be back in his full glory as fully God again. Okay, so that's where we kind of pick up. And what I love, this is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's hard to pick just one, but... Acts chapter 1, verse 11 is hilarious to me because I can see myself being in, in their shoes. So in verse 11, Jesus had just ascended to heaven and the disciples are looking up, just amazed. They're absolutely amazed. Because, I mean, they've never seen something like this. Just Jesus is fully human, ascends into heaven. And they're like, wow. And boom, these two angels appear. We see this in, in scripture. These two angels appear and say, get to work. It's a slight paraphrase. They say, get to work. Quit staring up at the heavens. What are you doing? 
I love that. So a lot happens in chapter 1. But here's what we need to know. Jesus ascends, and then the Holy Spirit is now given to believers. So before this time period, the Holy Spirit was not in every believer. We had the priest system, and then we had Jesus on earth, and now we have the Holy Spirit in each and every Christian's life. And then the end of uh, chapter 2, right before the passage we're going to look at today, we see where all this kind of accumulates to. The ministry of Jesus on earth, the ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit in believers' lives. Now what? Well, we see Peter preaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. This is what it says in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, and this is what Peter said, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Really cool. Now, again, we're still in the context period, okay? So what's going on? Who were these 3,000? Did he just go to Walmart and start preaching? No. There were, at this time period, celebrating uh, the Pentecost. And what this means is there were at least 6,000 Jewish men and their families, uh, most likely, uh, gathering from all areas of the earth to celebrate. All right, so without covering too much information, these were very devout Jewish men, okay? Very religious, very legalistic. What that means is they followed all the rules and procedures and don't take too many steps on the Sabbath and and blah, 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 blah. Just all these rules of this phony religion, okay? And Peter starts preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit now in them, okay? He starts preaching, and 3,000 were converted to Christianity, okay? Anytime one soul is converted to Christianity is a miracle, and we should praise God for that. But when 3,000 devout Jews are converted to Christianity, especially in this time period, it is nothing but a pure miracle. Well, why? Okay? I told you they're devout Jews, but what does that mean exactly? Okay? Context, this time period, this was about, or just shy of, two months after the death of Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Okay, it wasn't Rome. You know, it wasn't uh, his disciple. Who killed Jesus? It was the Jews. The Jewish leaders had Jesus killed on the cross. So it is very likely that these same men that were there cheering on the death of Jesus are now praising his name. How cool is that? You want to talk about a lot of grace? Imagine what they were feeling, that, re that relief of conviction, saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I killed Jesus, who is God. And even more incredibly, that he forgives me. That's what they're going through. Isn't that cool? So just two months after the death of Jesus, they're now praising his name. So now what? Okay, so 
That's awesome. Let's not ignore that. But now what? What do these 3,000 new converts, these new Christians do? Why imagine the same question applies to us? What do we do? What do we do after salvation? Well, the first thing we need to answer is, are we any different than them? Right? Does this apply to us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. They may have literally killed Jesus, but we know, if you are familiar with the New Testament at all, why did Jesus die? For our sins. So not only did he die for us to be forgiven, but he died because of us, because of our actions, our sins. So no, let's not think we're any better or any different than the Jew that literally killed him, because we're the exact same. We would have if we were there, most likely. So we realize our sin, we're covered by the grace of God, then what? What do we do? What does, uh, now I know if you're watching this, you may not be a member of Trinity Baptist Church, maybe you're a member of one of my previous churches, one of Jordan's previous churches, or maybe you just found this online. But primarily, I'm talking to Trinity Baptist Church, okay? What does Trinity Baptist Church do to make more faithful followers? What do we do with the faithful followers that we do make, that gather here with us? What do we do? Yes, we have been saved. Now what? Well, we need to see, does this passage give us good guidance on to tell us what to do? I believe so, and here's why. Verses 42 through 47 is the first church. Okay, This is the first modern church, if you will. What I mean by that is, this is the first church to have the Holy Spirit. Okay, Before this, you had the temple, and you had, uh, you had Christians, in essence. Uh, they believed in the coming Messiah. But this is the first church that is celebrating what Jesus has done, and this is the first church to have the Holy Spirit. So this is, in essence, the first church as we know it. Now, you may think, what do they know? We know so much more than them. We have kids programs, youth programs, and camp, and VBS, and all this, which are good things. But they didn't have any of that. They, they, what can we learn from them? So a, a way I heard it is, some view this church as infancy, uh, but I prefer to view it as an innocent church. This is a church that is purely focused on the faith of Jesus. There is no phony religion in this church. There is no bad religion in this church. In fact, remember, this is a group of mostly Jews, recent converts, that have been badly burned by phony religion in the past, by all these rules and regulations and and hierarchy of who's a better believer. That's all gone. This is faith in Jesus. We are all equal. There's nothing we did to earn it. So this is where we are. So the book of Acts tells us about what Christians did. And today we're looking at verses 42 through 47. And we're going to see just exactly what we are called to do. So would you pray with me and ask God? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help me uh, deliver this. But I want you to pray as I pray and say, God, speak to me through this passage. That's all I want you to say, okay? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your holy word, for the teaching of the apostles. Lord, I pray that as we look at these verses today, 
that you would help me deliver this so clearly and so uh, with so much conviction that we are, are forced to make a decision to obey it or not obey it. And Lord, I pray that those listening to this would obey it. Lord, thank you for your word and for your guidance. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Let's look at verse 42. And we're going to read through 47. Okay. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe. There's that word. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So how do we be an awe-inspiring church? How do we do that? Step one, for taking notes. Point number one, you love God. How do we do that? We see in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, first of all, what does the word devoted mean? Because we're going to see that several times in the scripture. The word devoted means to be fully committed, to be all in, to be engaged, to be there. Like yours all in. Okay? So, what? What is the apostles' teaching? Well, in that time period, it was literally the apostles' teaching. Okay? The followers of Jesus, the disciples. There are no possible ways we can listen to the apostles now. Why? Because they're dead. However, we do have their writings, what we call the New Testament. And there's nothing new. The New Testament is it. Old Testament and New Testament. This is the apostles' writing, their teaching. And so, Scripture. So, when it says they devote themselves to Scripture, or to the apostles' teaching, it means Scripture. So, that's how we can apply that. We devote ourselves to the teaching of Scripture. Well, why? Why is that important? Great question. 2 Timothy 3.16, write that down, says this. Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why do we need scripture? Because it makes us aware of our need for Jesus. It tells us about our sin. Okay, The whole purpose of us being convicted in sin is not so that Jesus can go, ha ha, you're pointless, whatever. You're no good. No, it's to say, oh, wow, I am broken and I do need a savior. It makes us aware of that. And secondly, it guides us once we are Christians on how to live. Right. Well, I love this because they don't stop there. Right. So this would be the equivalent of our Sunday morning church. Or maybe you're watching this. You go to another church and you have Saturday night church, Sunday night church or whatever. This is. That would be the gathering. That would be the Sunday gathering of believers, of the preaching of the word. But they don't stop there, right? That's The gathering of believers is critical, but there's more to being an awe-inspiring church than just 
your Sunday morning gathering. And so what do we do? You have to also love others. So number one is love God. Number two is love others. And how did they do that? They devoted, there's that word again, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. What does that mean? To each other. That doesn't mean just a meal once a month at your church fellowship hall, right? That's not what that means. We see in these in the scripture, in verses uh, 42 through 47, that they were committed to each other, that they knew each other. What does that mean? They didn't just know the Bible. They knew each other. And how do we know that? We see, scripture says, they had all things in common. That means they had active participation. Active participation. They didn't just attend. They participated. And how do you know if you have something in common with other people? You have to talk to them. When you talk to someone and you learn more about them and get to know them, you can find out your common interest. And the word fellowship here doesn't just mean a meal, okay? It means everything. It means suffering together. It means having sympathy for one another. It means serving together. And it does mean having meals together. They, they lived together. They had life together. Now, let's back up. 3,000 people were added to this church. Did all 3,000 people know each other? No. No, they did not. They gathered in small groups. And that's why at Trinity, we love our small groups. And we're working on getting more small groups and really plugging into that. Because we know, even at 150 church members, you can't know everybody. Research, modern research tells you, you can really only know about 10 to 15 people well. That's extra biblical. That's, that's, nothing, that's not a religious study. That's just a scientific fact of how much information our brains can hold about somebody and keep up with and love somebody and care for them. And so we see these, this first church breaking out into small groups. So by loving others, they devoted themselves to each other, to the fellowship. But they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. All right, we see that in verse 46. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, we do know this is an extension of fellowship, right? So part of fellowship is having meals together. Now, we're not 100% clear as to whether this was communion as far as in remembrance of Jesus Christ or not. It probably was. We do know it was for sure a meal, okay? So we do know it was a meal, but often in the New Testament, we see the breaking of bread refer to communion. And so it is very likely that this was also communion. Um, that's a whole other study. But we do know this was at the very least a meal. And they would recline with each other. Remember, they didn't have chairs like I'm sitting in right now to eat at a table. Uh, in this time period, they would lay down and eat. They were very comfortable. It was a very relaxed atmosphere. They would talk together. They would um, listen to each other's stories. And someone may, someone may even spend 20 minutes talking about something particular. If you've ever had supper with me, you're probably familiar with that. I'm a talker. I apologize. 
But they had deep conversations around meals. And they just got to spend this life together. And uh, thirdly, under love others. They also devoted themselves to prayers. Now, what does that mean? We see in Scripture that we, well, we know that they learned about each other and that they, they shared sympathy for each other. And so it is very likely that they were praying for each other, like extremely likely, likely they were praying for each other. And we do see in Scripture that they gave thanks to God for His generosity, for His love, His uh, compassion. Now remember, these men and these people are the very ones that killed Jesus and now are following and praising His name. So imagine their prayers. Imagine how thankful they are to God. Here's what I love. Let's not get caught up in studying God's word. It's very important. Let's not get caught up in being at church. Okay, we gotta participate. I have written here. They did not just get their PhDs in Sunday school, right? To be an all-inspiring church, you have to interact with the community. You can't be an all-inspiring church and have your holy huddle. You got to get out the walls. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 13:2. Write that down. 1 Corinthians 13:2. This is what it says. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. Well, this verse, I mean, it's very literal, but what it says is, if you are the smartest person, and you pray better and more than anybody else, and you tithe more than anybody, and you're at Sunday school and at church more than anybody, and you help build more things at the church than anybody, but you don't love that's all pointless. In this time period, in verses 42 through 47, the actions or the love of the believers was so incredible that it caught the attention of the lost around them and made conversions. Isn't that cool? The lost in this community were so awestruck by the Christians' commitment to each other, to the church, to Jesus, impressed them. They were so awestruck that they converted. Now, uh, I often hear, quote, my life is my testimony, end quote. Okay, but when is the last time your life has put the fear of God in someone's life. When's the last time that you were just being a Christian, living your life, and someone said, wow, I want what you have. I want to be a Christian. And maybe that has happened. Great. But whenever I hear somebody say, my life is my testimony, it's usually a cop out for saying, I don't need Sunday school. I don't need a small group. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to serve. Yeah, you do. This church was so alive that people noticed it and wanted what they had. They wanted Jesus. What else? How do we make our community realize that we're alive? So 
Our first step is to love God. Our second step is to love others. And how do we engage the world? Thirdly, we serve the world. Now, too often we think serve the world. We book it to Asia or we book it to Africa or wherever we can do missions. Step one is the believer sitting next to you. Whether that be in your chair, in your pew, or someone in your small group. If you can't care for each other in the church, forget about it outside the church. We see throughout Scripture that we are commanded to take care of other Christians first. And we see in this passage, they were extremely generous to each other. They were selling their possessions and giving to those in need. Now, let's pause. How did they know that there were people in need in their church? They didn't go through the pastor or through the benevolence team, which are fine things, um, but they had small groups and they listened to each other and they learned about each other. They invested time in each other and they said, hey, Kevin, Alicia, whoever, what is it that you need? Are you okay? And they found out that there was a need and they said, you know what, I'll take care of that. I don't have any money but I have an extra ladder, I'll sell it, and I'll give you the money for that. Or hey, you know, I was gonna to go to the Chiefs game this weekend, uh, tickets for $300, I don't need to go. Here's $300, why don't you get groceries for you and your family for a couple of weeks? Serve each other. The community of this era recognized this and that their hospitality was so incredible they were impressed. Verse 47, listen to this, verse 47 says, having favor with all the people. Well, how do we have favor with all the people? Okay. We have to be known in the community. Now, I love this passage. It doesn't tell us how or what to do to be known. Okay. I believe it gives us a lot of leeway. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, my previous church was more of a country church. Now, my current church, where I'm at right now, Trinity Baptist Church, is more of a city church. And our two churches have different outreach methods, right? That's fine. That's good. Uh, a church from 1970 or 1990 or even 2005 will have a different outreach method than those of 2021. Especially the churches of year 60 and the churches of 2021 are going to have a different outreach method, different socially acceptable ways. And that's okay. But find the way that your church can serve, that your small group can serve, and be known in the community. Now here's something I, I, I really want you to understand. When we're doing outreach and we're doing mission projects, and mission trips. Our number one goal obviously is to spread the gospel, but it's not to make converts. And that's a bold statement, but listen to me. We see in this passage that yes, God did add to their number day by day. And yes, God did give them 3,000 new converts all in one day. But what I want to focus on is they had favor with all the people. That means they were well liked. That means if you ask any random person in town, hey, 
tell me about Trinity Baptist Church. I want to, at the very least, them say, I don't know much about them, but those are great people. Another way to say that is, we don't have to convince them that Jesus is the way. We don't have to convince them in that conversation. They have to convert. They need to know that. We need to tell them that. But let's not hold them hostage. We need to at least do a mission project. And at the end, they say, you know, I understand what they're saying. I understand they worship this God. I understand they praise this Jesus guy. But that's not for me. But man, those people are awesome. They're really nice. They need to say, wow, they're really passionate about that. I like them. Now, I pray that they also convert and that they join us or join another local church. But the verse here says that they had favor with all the people. And so it's the Lord's decision as to whether or not they convert. We can't make anyone decide. We cannot make them join our church. But we can be hospitable. We can be a well-favored church. Never, and listen to this, never think coasting will produce disciples. The Christians at Trinity Baptist Church in Pittsburgh, Kansas are committed to making faithful followers. And we can't do that by sitting in our chair. We can't do that without knowing each other. So how do we do it? Well, I've covered it, I think, pretty well. Love God, love others, serve the world. How do we do that? We listen to the preaching of the word. How do we love others? We get in a small group. We know each other. We serve together. Part of my goal as Connections Pastor here at Trinity is to make good small groups. Now we've got two or three or a few right now and we're getting more. In the next several months you will see several new small groups launched. Please join one. If you want to lead one, let me know and let's lead a group together. Let's lead groups together. Our small groups at Trinity will be the driving force to having favor in the community. Our small groups at Trinity will be where we plant the most seeds. Our small groups at Trinity will be how we serve our community. Our small groups at Trinity will be how we know people are struggling. There is no possible way Pastor Jordan and myself can keep up with 150 people, their needs, their prayer requests, and everything else in life. We love to know. We love being updated. Please continue to update us. We love to pray with you, to suffer with you, to celebrate with you. We love that stuff, but we cannot do it well to 150 people. But how can we do it, church? By getting in a small group of 10 people and loving each other wholeheartedly, of taking care of each other, of keeping each other accountable only way we can do it. I'm going to end with this quote. It is the Lord's prerogative to add new members to his community. It is the joyful prerogative of existing members to welcome their fellowship, those whom he has accepted. Now, what does that mean? Our job is to celebrate new life. It's our job to know God and to love others. 
and serve the world. It is his job to save souls. But rest assured, if we are not doing our part, if we are not loving God and loving others to serve the world, why should we expect more faithful followers? Let me be very clear. Just because we do these things does not mean we're going to have 3,000 faithful followers next week. It does not mean we're going to have an abundance of people. This is not any mathematical equation. Two plus two must equal four. I'm not guaranteeing you that we're going to see thousands of souls saved. But I am telling you this. If we're not being faithful, why can we expect one person to join our church? So let's think about that. I want to pray with you. I want you to think about how we can apply this to our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your good word. Thank you for the ability to distribute this uh, sermon, this message, not only to our members that are, are shut in and locked in and unable to attend the weekly gathering, but Lord, I pray this video will be distributed to just the right ears that need to hear it. Maybe they don't even know where Pittsburgh, Kansas is, but they're loosely part of a church and they need to be more engaged. Lord, I pray that those people hearing this would plug into a small group, that their church has small groups of some sort. You may call them life groups, community groups, Sunday school. It doesn't matter. Be part of a smaller group of your church. Love each other, love God, and serve together. Lord, thank you for your holy word, for your love and your grace and your forgiveness. And I pray that you would just bless the reading of your scripture, of your word, and the souls and hearts and ears that heard it. In your name I pray. Amen.